I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today is a little bit different episode as I'm joined by two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. Dr. Chad Carlson and Dr. Brian Bull grew up as competitive athletes and are now both coaches and sports scholars. Together, they created the Sport Faith Life podcast, which they describe as a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Chad and Brian also hosted the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity at Calvin University in October 2019, and they're committed to continuing to explore the athletic world through the lens of Christianity. We had a great conversation today covering everything from the most basic element of play to redemption in sport. We talk about how to lead with grace, call for truth, and be a light on a very diverse team. But before we jump into this episode, I want to tell you about my new book, Life at 10 Meters, Lessons from an Olympic Champion. It's not an autobiography, but rather some important lessons I've learned from my diving days. It's a quick read, but packed with powerful messages that are relatable both in sports and life. From tweens to adults, everyone will benefit from this read. I'd even encourage parents to read it with your kids as it'll provide great discussions on how you can face and overcome challenges in your life. If you'd like an autographed copy, just head on over to laurawilkinson.com slash book and make sure to fill out the box telling me who you want me to sign it to. That's laurawilkinson.com slash book. Or you can grab a copy of Life at 10 Meters on Amazon in paperback or ebook. Just search for Life at 10 Meters in the Amazon search bar, or you can click the direct link in our show notes. If you're enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review. And if you're loving our show, make sure you're sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. They're going to love you for it. All right. I believe there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Chad Carlson and Brian Bolt, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so glad to have you guys on today. Happy to be here. Yeah. Just happy to be a part of this. This is so cool. Well, to get us started and to give everybody kind of an idea of who you are, I'd love to hear each of your backgrounds and then kind of the story of how you guys met and started what you're doing now. Well, let's go age or beauty, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's you first either way then. I think I'm both, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, all right. uh, Real quick uh, summary of me. Obviously, Chad and I ended getting connected because of sport. And so I'll just give a, a brief history there. Uh, I kind of grew up with a ball in my hand, decided that uh, sport was going to be the thing that I do, played everything I could possibly do as a kid. And then when I got into middle school and high school, those sort of narrowed down into the sort of the major sports in my area at the time, which were baseball, basketball, and football. And I played those all in high school. Uh, it was kind of the days, and I hate to date myself this way, but before travel teams. So there wasn't a lot of that going on. So you lived for your high school athletic experience back then. And then when we, uh, uh, when those experiences were over, I decided to continue on into college. I played baseball and I played basketball for a couple of years at a small division three school, uh, but felt like this was the kind of career I wanted to create. So I ended up going into teaching. I, I taught PE and history for a while, thought that maybe I would continue on into higher education. So at that point I moved from West Michigan, where, uh, both Chad and I, uh, are right now and moved into, uh, to North Carolina, spent uh, five years in North Carolina, three, uh, two years in Chapel Hill and three in Greensboro, uh, doing graduate work. And at that point, I was adding new sports, kind of developing 
my interest areas developing, uh, my interest in coaching. I was coaching uh, high school basketball. I got a chance to, to coach in the Dean Dome. That was sort of fun experience. And then after that, I uh, got my first collegiate job down in Roanoke, Virginia. My kids were born down in Virginia and North Carolina. So I have three children. They're all grown now. I have one son that is still uh, has a couple of years of college left to go, but my two daughters are uh, done. And then after eight years in Virginia, uh, my alma mater came calling and said, would you come back? And I said, absolutely not. So <laughs> uh, that took a little while, a little more coaxing, you know, out of West Michigan, you're thinking, okay, I'm never going back to that snow. But ultimately, um, I did come back. I came back in 2004. And they, they offered me, along with being a professor and uh, eventually an administrator, they said, hey, would you like to coach the golf team? And I said, you know, I didn't play golf in high school or college. I, I picked it up after sort of post-college, started giving lessons and those sorts of things, but I had never coached. I had never recruited. I had never scheduled. I had never done any of those things. And they said, perfect, you have the job. So at that <laughs> point, yeah, I muddled my way through it, but it gave me a competitive outlet. It gave me something to really focus in on, which I loved doing. Our teams have been generally successful as we've gone through. And so I'm still the men's golf coach. My job has changed a number of times. I went from being a professor for a lot of years until I became a, a department chair administrator over the kinesiology department and athletics. And then ultimately, uh, right now, I am the dean of education, which is a part of my job. Uh, men's golf coach is the other part of my job. So that's my role. Calvin is a Christian university. Uh, and so faith has also played a major part in my life. I grew up as a Christian. My parents took me to church every week. In fact, took me to church twice every week. I, I can't believe they did that to me. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it, it was uh, fits and starts for sure. And we all have different journeys along the way. Mine was uh, to get away from sort of my denominational roots and, and ended up in lots of different places and, and non-denominational churches and Anglican churches and so on then became a focus of my work uh, and my scholarship. So I started to write more and, and do more study on sport and Christianity and how those two can sometimes be symbiotic partners and other times be detrimental. And so we talked, uh, I talked a little about that, ultimately got connected to uh, different people that were writing about similar things. There were a handful of different conferences that were happening and writing projects that I was a part of. And then ultimately, I met Chad as a part of this uh, Global Congress on Sport and Christianity. The first one was in 2016 in England. And then uh, Chad and I actually chaired the second one, which was at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, that was in 2019. And now the next one, uh, COVID willing, will be back in England in the city of Cambridge in England, and uh, that'll be in 2022. So we're really excited about that project. Chad has written on sport and faith. I've written a book on sport and faith, and uh, together we've done a number of projects. And so now we're doing these podcasts. I'll stop there uh, and let Chad jump in and, and finish the story. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I guess, what it is. Um, Brian and I lead parallel lives. I'm just a few years younger, not many, but a few years younger. I played, uh, we can just insert different details here to Brian's story for mine. I played college basketball, coached college basketball in the midst of that, went to Penn State and got a PhD in, in history and philosophy of sport. Was looking for a program in sport and religion. Found this one where I had a, a, a Christian mentor, but studied history and philosophy of sport back at my alma mater, Hope College. Hope and Calvin are our rival schools. And what Brian and I are doing together is somewhat groundbreaking uh, in that we have 
people from rival schools connected with these athletic departments at these two schools um, working together. Oh my goodness. That's been exciting for us. I know it's been like a cooperation and action for us in a way that just hasn't been done between our two schools. So we're really excited about that, but we're happy to collaborate together with the second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity and are looking forward to the third one. In the midst of that, we've started uh, this entity called Sport Faith Life, which is a website where we um, interview people who are working in the field of sport and faith. Some are practitioners, some are scholars, some are, are both like us, some are somewhere in between. And we just have conversations about what sport and faith means to them in their lives. I love this. And there's so many different directions we can go and probably will go. Uh, But just in general, since you guys have really been working on how sport and faith like interconnect um, and sometimes how they even oppose each other, what are your kind of overarching takeaways of what you've learned in that so far? Well, there's so much going on in this field. And that's one of the things that we've, we've learned, you know, talking to so many people that are interested in sport and faith. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway for me, at least, is that there are people that want to have deeper conversations about sport and about faith and about the connection between those two things. The other one that, that Brian and I, I think sometimes find ourselves apologizing for is competitors that, that come to us, that talk to us and say, I really want to win. And yet I feel like I'm a bad person when I want to win. And, and both of us would would respond to that similarly and say, if we're not trying to win in sports, it's it's not worth it. Winning does matter, but there's there's certainly uh, pieces of our identity that sometimes grow larger than they should, and sometimes our our focus on on winning becomes all consuming in a way that's not healthy. But in no way should a a Christian athlete uh, have to apologize for trying to win. That's that's the whole point of of playing sport to try to do your best. And, and if you can, to try to win. And so that's an important thing that what we're, what we're not trying to do is dampen people's competitiveness and uh, in, in having conversations about sport and faith. We're not trying to make this, you know, uh, a nice fest. It should be, you know, sports should be about, about winning and about trying hard, trying your best to win. I love that. Yeah. I would add to, I think Chad said that really well. Uh, one of the things that we really tried to do is not come away with a really quick answer, which is uh, often the first layer, right? How can sport maybe help me? Or how can and can my faith help me win in sport? And there is some possibility there, but the ultimately, what is your goal or what is your purpose as you're thinking through these some of these questions? And what do you think about sport? So for us, we want to define sport really well. And when we do start defining sport down, we know that there's a competitive element. And that competition can have a, uh, a beneficial side, but we've also seen competition really play out in ugly ways among athletes, among coaches, families, all those sorts of uh, situations. But really, sport is not sport without that competition. So it's not a matter of pretending that winning doesn't matter when no one believes you. Instead, it's a matter of understanding that that competition is there, recognizing what sport is, and then uh, dealing with the both vices and virtues that can be the result of participation in sport. Well, so along those lines, like I'd like to kind of look at the kind of the flip side of both, like how can sport better equip an athlete to walk out their faith in their life outside of sport? And how can faith benefit you inside your sport? Like what are, yeah, if you guys would kind of give me the flips on both of those of what you've seen, what you, what you kind of have learned in this process. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm, I'm going first here. It sounds good. <laughs> we look at each other back and forth and it's always hard to tell. This is exactly how the podcast works as well, right? Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
So this idea that uh, sport could potentially help faith. Well, first of all, we're not the first ones to discover this. And St. Paul spent a lot of time referring to sport in his letters. I mean, what, one of the things that he realized about sport was that it was all-encompassing. It was fully engaged bodily movement that involved your mind and your will and your heart, your emotions. People were throwing themselves into it. And so he used it as an analogy to understand the walk of faith. And I think that there are some benefits for us as well to think about our engagement with sport and how it does consume us in some ways. And it does, it is holistic, right? It, it takes us from a place of, um, maybe not caring about something to caring deeply about something, even to the dangerous point of maybe caring too much about something. So just the idea of sport and the the engagement with it does help because also we are worn down through sport and we um, things that are required of us require all of us. That can be a helpful place for us to examine our motives and examine our hearts. And we, we've talked a little bit about one of the, the things that naturally happens in sport is that we start comparing ourselves to others. And that comparison is constant. And, and we hear all the time about how constant comparison can be detrimental to one's understanding of self and to their self-esteem maybe, and maybe even take on a certain identity that is unhelpful. So because of that constant comparison, we want to be really well aware of what that comparison does, what it does to us in terms of potentially helping us lift us to higher heights, but also potentially moving us toward jealousy or envy. And really, ultimately, um, we're not only jealous that somebody else has something, we may be jealous of God who didn't create us with the ability to beat that other person. So there's, there's some deeper layers there as you start thinking about how some of these comparisons can play out in the life of an athlete or a coach. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm, I can't speak for Brian here, but for myself, looking at the list of guests you've had on this podcast, you know, Brian and I certainly would exhibit a little bit of that envy at, uh, you know, that we don't have, we don't have these gifts, right? We were, we were amateur athletes compared to, to, to you and who you've been talking to on this podcast, but to stick in within the realm of, of morality, I think there are certain things that we learn in sport that certainly, certainly help us. We think about faith, hope, and love as being important things uh, to someone's Christian faith walk. We certainly enter into the sporting arena every time with hopes that we'll do our best, right? There's uncertainty, but you learn that if, if you're going to get anywhere, you have to have hope, uh, hope that you'll be able to do well, hope that you'll be able to do as well as last time, better than last time, hope that, hopeful that you'll be able to put forth your best performance at the right time. And so there's certain corollaries there between what we think about in terms of moral theology and, and what we learn through sport. I'm thinking of uh, patience, one of the, the fruits of the spirit as well. You know, what better arena than sport to learn patience, to learn about slow growth over time, to learn about suffering, how to, how to suffer well over time. Nobody wins every time. I mean, that's just not the case. And so you learn how to suffer, how to suffer well in sport. Some of that I think translates pretty well into, into one's Christian faith. I love that. And I, I grew up in church, but I think really became a believer um, when I was about 20, actually in the middle of a diving competition. It was the first time I really felt that there was repentance, you know, active repentance and wanting to turn from my own ways and actually follow God and, and obey him and live a life for him. And really, I've been so thankful for diving because I feel like God has really shown me 
kind of all these biblical truths and how to live out this life as a, as a believer in my sport, because that was my arena. That's why I just felt like everything was, is very black and white in sports. And so sometimes it's easier to understand some of these things. And like, one of the things I like to talk about when I speak to groups is the first time I jumped off a platform is very much like when you take a leap of faith in your life and you trust God. Cause a lot of times we want to say, well, I want to do what the Bible says. I want to do what's right. But like, we're not committed. Like if you're trying to jump off a platform, you can't try and jump. You either jump in with both feet or you walk back down the ladder of shame, you know? So there's this, this sense of commitment where you have to take this jump, even though you're terrified, you don't know how it's going to end. You don't know if you're going to get hurt. You don't know if you're going to fail or if it's going to be wonderful. You don't know what's going to happen after that. And it's terrifying. And sometimes God brings us to those moments where you have to kind of commit and, and take these kind of leaps of faith in our lives. And so I just love that he has used sport, at least in my life to really begin to understand these things in a bigger scale. And it's helped me outside of the pool, be able to be like, okay, I'm, I'm in this situation and, and I can be able to pull from a story or something that's happened to me in my sport. That's helped me walk that out of my life or explain it to my children, you know? So I, I do love the, the kind of correlation between sport and faith. I think it's really, really deep. Like you were saying, there's lots of layers, Brian. <laughs> there are. And I think too, just taking even one bigger layer back from that, it's just this general idea that sport is okay, that sport is a part of the human life. And when we think about the way God created the world, he created it in such a way that we were supposed to live in it and continue to grow and develop, right? We're, we as human beings are... Uh, are, are put on this earth as to work the earth, for sure, because there's a lot of good work to do. But we're also meant to play. And so one of the things that we're quite clear about in sport is sport is, is a form of play. And that form of play is, it really seems to hit home with certain people, right? Certain people are really drawn to sport, to that competitive element, to give themselves an opportunity to show their skill in that particular sort of way. And, and I think God created all people to play. Maybe not everybody should play sport. Maybe not everybody is sort of drawn to this idea of competition. So playfulness is built into all of us. And that is a, that is a, we're kind of representing our creative nature, our created nature when we play. And one form of that is sport. And when, when parents ask me, you know, I, should I force my child to play, you know, this, this sport at age 12 or age 11? Should I, should I push them off the platform, so to speak? Uh, and I'm sure glad my parents did not push me off any platform. <laughs> I think I would have freaked out. But should I do that? And I always say, you know, all kids are meant to play, but not all kids are meant for the high level pressure of competitive sport. You know, you think about uh, a play, play is such a, a, an interesting sort of concept or, or phenomena, right? And in some ways we're, you know, we're, we're drawn to sport. We are sport is, is, is playful most fundamentally, but it also, it takes a lot of courage to, to walk out onto that platform because in specifically in competitive situations in which, you know, so many athletes hope to be in at some point in time and, and, and experience, you know, you're, you're exposed. And so I'm, I'm thinking about Laura, what, what you do as a diver and individual sport, Brian, you're coaching golfers, individuals, right? You're there and you're, and there's something that's probably unplayful about that. It, it induces fear, but there's also something that's deeply meaningful about that that might be related to sort of the, the playful nature of why we do this in the first place. We love the movement. We love the experience. And if it comes with uh, a lot of competition, with a lot of stress, 
well, that, that brings out the best in us sometimes. Sometimes that, that helps us confront certain fears that we have. Sometimes it helps us to grow, right? It takes courage just to get out on the platform, knowing that whether you do well or not is a direct reflection on you and only you. In team sports, we can hide behind teammates a little bit. We can hide behind coaches, these types of things. But in certain individual sports, especially those that we watch in the Olympics, man, you are exposed. And um, I think that comes with, and that requires a lot of courage, but I think it comes with also uh, the building of one's platform, you know, that, uh, that, that you have, you in some ways also are proving to others that you earn the right to be heard, to be able to speak to others, to be able to have a, a platform to say certain things and, and to, to be heroes to others. Um, certainly we, we, we hope that that occurs humbly, but, you know, it gives you a platform. And I think that that's helpful for, uh, for athletes thinking about how they might be able to transfer what they've taken in sport to outside of sport or to beyond sport. I love that. And I, and I love that you kind of mentioned Brian too, that everybody is made to play maybe at different levels. And, and I think we're all made for different purposes and we're all to play a different part of the body of Christ here, but you know, we're all here to also share the gospel and, and kind of, we're each going to have our own ministries and whatever Avenue God has us to walk out in our life. And so I kind of want to know what y'all's perspective is like, how best can an athlete or even a coach use their sport for ministry? Cause that can be a sticky place sometimes, you know, especially if you're, you know, on a team or around a group of people that they're really maybe have quite the variety of, of backgrounds and belief systems. Yeah. I think that is, it can very much be a sticky place. I think um, I am encouraged and I, I encourage all Christians too, to, to not retreat because of that stickiness, meaning it can be easy to say, well, it's just so difficult to do that. And maybe that's no place for that. But even if our, our platform is is really not a platform at all, it's just a, it's a really small group of people that you're hanging out with. I think we always consider in the choices we make, in the maybe the things we do and the things that we don't do, how that affects our witness. And so I think our own practices obviously have some impact on how our actions are perceived. And I think that that's an important part of sport that we, we think about as we're in the pursuit of, uh, of winning a particular title, a gold medal, what is the witness that people are pulling away from? How is that, how is that affecting things? And then as, as I think about, um, is, there, is there something we can do to deal with just this diversity, this variety of people that we encounter that is meaningful and it's not offensive, but it's truthful and it's bold? Right, so these are these are real challenges. I I have uh, I teach here at a at a Christian college, where the faculty members here are required to to have an allegiance to Christianity, but the students aren't. Right, so the students can come in from all over the place. That many of them have a have a Christian background, but not all do. And so on my team, in fact, I, I have uh, a Jewish player. I have players with no faith background or very limited faith background. I have different denominations: Catholic, Protestant. And so I think it's intent. Uh, it's the the same way when we see how Jesus did things with with Pharisees and zealots and people that you know were really on the fringes and uh, different ethnic groups. It starts with relationship. It starts with leading with grace and expressing truth in the moments that uh, that call for it. I think uh, very specific practices can help as well. So just uh, kind of drawing attention to some aspects that that are moved by faith. So for instance, 
I talk about my players actually forgiving themselves and forgiving others. And that's a pretty rare concept to think about forgiveness and how that, uh, you know, you've been wronged by a particular person. What does it mean to really forgive? And can it be done in a single action? And what does it mean to live in community then when, you, when you're, you're called to forgive a person over and over and over again, right? So these are some of the things I think that if we are intentional and we work on specific practices that can give an opportunity for us to talk about faith and for us to practice faith in meaningful ways. So amidst the variety of models here and the, and the variety of circumstances under which someone might minister, Brian and I were able to to talk with uh, the director of a group called Christians in Sport UK a couple of weeks back. And Graham Daniels, the director, said, it boils down to this for us at Christians in Sport UK. We have three words, pray, play, and then say. That is the first thing is prayer must be the leader. It's got to be led by the Holy Spirit. Play, participate, be a part of things, be one of the team, be one of the players, you know, be with everyone just as you normally would. And then once you've earned that right to be heard, then that's when you start saying things. That's when you start speaking into the lives of the people that you'd be ministering to. And that's what Brian's alluding to, I think, with what he does with his golf team is that he's with them in prayer. He's with them in play and then say, and then he gets to speak into it. So pray, play, and then say. Oh, I like that a lot. That That is really cool. And I, I think the relational part that you guys are both kind of addressing is that that has to happen first. You kind of have to have this foundation to be able to speak to people, to be able to bring up those things, um, to be able to have conversations at all that, that lead to things like forgiveness that lead to deeper conversations. Um, I think that's a really, really great point. Now I have to ask you with, with all the, the podcasts you've been doing too, you've had a variety of topics and guests on what do you, what kind of things do you guys really like to dive into the most? Cause you guys have obviously such a big variety here. Like what are kind of your favorite things to dig into? Well, we, we did a, a two episode deal on, on Tim Tebow. It's like, this was an interesting issue for us, right? This was topical. And so as he, I listened as he, to one of those today, yeah. Right, so as, he, <laughs> as he tries to, you know, to make his, his comeback here. I mean, it's a really, it's a great story, but it comes along with, you know, Tim Tebow sort of elicits uh, emotional responses from people in a way that very few other athletes do. So we talk about that. You know, what what should we be thinking about here? What should we be discussing? That was a really fun topic for us. But, you know, a lot of what we want to do otherwise is just kind of be able to to expose what others are doing. And so we're talking about about what they're writing about, what they're thinking about, the work that they're doing, you know, to be able to share the pray, play, say stuff from Grand Daniels at Christians in Sport UK is just a really, a really fun thing for us uh, to be able to think, huh, all right, we're thinking more deeply than, you know, than just surface level stuff about sport and Christianity. Just yeah, so what we try not to be, I think, is immediately topical. In other words, if something happens and people jump on to sports radio and start discussing that, much of what you hear just sort of falls flat and it becomes kind of irrelevant within a day or two. And so what we do is we try to, we love engaging culture, we love engaging topics, but we try to take a little bit of a slower approach so that we can encourage Christians really even to do the same thing, to not have that immediate visceral response to some of these things, because, you know, we get an emotional response to everything that right now that's happening in the world. Uh, and it's it's often mixed in with politics, with faith, and, and all of that sort of stuff makes, uh, makes us say things or do things that uh, maybe we want to take back after a while. So what we try to do on the podcast is engage things maybe at a second tier or another level. But you know, deep down, we're sports fans. We love sports. We want to talk about sports. Um, and we're, we're going to want to dig into the issues just like anybody else. I love that. 
All right. So I want to ask you guys, um, cause as an athlete and an athlete who maybe didn't have the best competition at the meet that mattered to me this year, a lot of times when we fall short, we don't meet our big goal, whether it's, you know, Olympic glory or just making that state championship, whatever it is. Sometimes we take that so hard on ourselves that we think, you know, we're taking glory away from God or we're, you know, we're some, somehow we're, we're failing God in that way, which is totally not true, but I would love to hear you guys kind of speak to that. Sports sociologist, Jay Coakley has said that, that Christians use sport and athletes use Christianity in ways that sort of serve their own purposes. And I think sometimes one of the, one of the most common ways that we do that is, is by seeing God as, as being in control, no matter, no matter what, right. And the uncertainty of athletic events, specifically those at super competitive levels, those where we really want to be at our best, where, where much of our identity lies and how we do at this particular event, meet game match, you know, whatever it might be. And, and so, so I think one of the ways that, um, that, that Christianity really can help athletes or that a, a deep faith can help is, is what Coakley says uh, to help us cope with uncertainty. And yet that's easier said than done. Certainly um, prayer can be part of, you know, a, a pre-event ritual and it helps to calm our nerves, just like, you know, wearing um, lucky socks or, or whatever else. Um, and I think there's some truth to that sort of, you know, psychologically that it gets us in the frame of mind to try to do our best. But I think where the sociology lends itself to deep theological reflection that Brian and I are trying to do is the is is thinking about okay well, well what does it mean to us then that this particular event means so much what does it say about about who we are I mean we, we you put in x amount of hours x times a thousand amount of hours towards this one particular event right and we see this especially those who are in Olympic sports where you know it's it's not like you play major league baseball where if you don't do well one day you get a chance the next day right um it's not like that this is this is a, a make or break experience and it speaks to who we are and who our, our identities are you know you talk to the folks that work at the USOPC training grounds and and they'll say that we we deal with identity issues right role engulfment athletes that feel like they're totally consumed by the quest for gold and we are the quest for the team or whatever it might be and, and one of the things that, that Brian and I often come back to when we're speaking to groups of people about this is, where's your heart when you enter the arena? Where's your heart when you enter the pool? Where's your heart when you enter the field? Where, where's your heart? And, and what we mean by that is, where's your identity? Can you handle no matter how you finish here? You want to be your best and you know God can, can handle wherever you finish. But where's your identity? Where's your heart? And when we reflect upon experiences where we feel like we've failed, what, what do we learn from that? What is, what is God telling us about who we are and our relationship to God the Father? And I don't think it would ever serve us well to think about trying to fail so that God can sort of serve his, his purposes through failure. But it does help to be reminded that the Bible is full of failure, right? It's full of uh, people not measuring up, people not living up. And you know, like you said, in your head, and in your understanding that your particular performance is not needed by God for anything. And yet it's really hard for us to kind of get past that. And it's part of our human nature. Um, it, it's not unusual for you to feel a sense of loss, for you to feel a sense of lament. Sport doesn't work really if we don't care. And if uh, we don't care, if, we, if we're not willing to risk if we're not willing to bear the pain of a failed experience or bear the 
sort of loss of identity in the moment, then really sport has very little opportunity to uplift us in those moments if we just sort of uh, limit it. So uh, recognize that part of your full humanity is to be absorbed in the outcome of this particular contest. But then, as Chad says, uh, going into the contest, preparing yourself in such a way that you check where your heart is, but also coming out of the contest. It's an opportunity then to return to your first love. And that first love is that wonderful feeling that you don't have to earn anything. Let's take this to a practical example. We watched Katie Ledecky lose the gold medal. And I say that because that's probably what it felt like to her in the 400 freestyle, right? This is an event she had dominated for, for, for years. Nine years or something, yeah. Right. I mean, unbelievable. And all of a sudden she doesn't win it and it's on the biggest stage here. And, and so then to hear her be interviewed in, in the post event, you know, on, on NBC and you can see the disappointment in her eyes and you can feel it right. As much as she wants to congratulate the Australian swimmer that won as much as they, they, you know, they hug and they say, you know, they both fed off of each other. Yep. That's all <laughs> fine and dandy. She lost and she feels terrible about that. If all Katie Ledecky is, is a 400 meter swimmer. If all she is, is a swimmer period, then that's a life that I think we need to infuse with, with greater meaning. If that's, that should be a part of who she is. That's a major part of who she is. Of course, that's the case. And, and boy, as Americans, we're, we're, we're cheering for her to do her best and to win. I was yelling at the screen and so were my kids and it was fun, but boy, she's, she was made for something for, for so much, for so much more than just one particular race, one particular event. And so it'll be really interesting to see how how she lives her life as she, as she moves along in her career and as she continues, that moment of disappointment is poignant and that will never leave her. I'm sure she'll always remember that, but she was made for so much more than that. We would hope that, uh, that she can see that even, even amidst the suffering of, of not winning a gold in that event. Definitely. And we, we had uh, Ben Holtberg on a while back on the podcast and he talked a lot about that uh, performance-based identity versus purpose-based identity and and the vast difference that that can make in your life. So uh, if you're listening, that's a great one to go back if you want to kind of dig deep into those ideas. He, he does a great job of explaining it. I, I want to talk about something. I think this would be a great topic for us to kind of dig into because we talk about all the great things that sport can do and, and faith involved with it, but sport can also be very, very selfish. And it's really hard to be all in and committed to the sport and do everything that you need to do, especially at the top levels and not be completely selfish and all consumed in what you are doing and all about Mimi, you know? So I guess, what would you tell people, your athletes or people that you talk to of how to be all in and be committed and doing all the things you need to do, but yet not all consumed in the process of yourself and your own goals and, and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, I think you've identified it and there's, um, you know, a lot of people don't even want to hear that. It's very challenging to your worldview to think that this thing that I love, this thing that I'm built for, maybe this thing that I'm called to, if we use Christian language, is really kind of maybe leading me in a bad direction, right? Some of the uh, self-absorption that can happen with sport. And we feed it. We feed it uh, in all the ways that we talk about sport, even in, on, on Christian campuses. And, and we talk about being all in. You, I think you use that phrase and this idea that, that we're all in for this particular thing. And I mean, in reality, we're not. And thank goodness, 
this idea that we are all in for this particular thing uh, would be quite limiting, actually, to who we are. When we think about what we give to uh, certain activities, what we give to the work that we do, let me uh, just take a little second here to talk about the, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a short story and he called it the great stone face. And it's about this guy that um, this kid, he grows up in this town where there's a rock face and it's shaped like a person's face. And, and the legend in the town was that someone would come along and they would appear just like this stone face and they would be benevolent and they would lead this town to greatness. And so throughout his entire life, this uh, young man grew up thinking that he might live and meet this person. So one person comes along and uh, everyone in the town thinks it's them. It's this great merchant who had lived there. He comes back, comes walking the town. Everybody's sure, but, but Ernest, which is his name, he looks at him and says, I don't think that's him because he had studied the legend and he knew exactly what he was looking for. And it turned out that ultimately this guy was not it. And then a great philosopher came along and then a great poet and then a great politician. And time after time, somebody would fall short. And so Ernest gets to this point in his life. He becomes a pastor and he gets to this point in his life, you're like, I think I'm going to die and I'm not going to see this person come along. Ernest then is asked for his retirement sermon to speak it outside underneath this great stone faith. And Hawthorne kind of captures this uh, situation. And while he's giving his final sermon, his sort of closing message to all the people in this town, people looked up and they looked down at Ernest. They looked up again and they said, behold, he has become the great stone face. In fact, the, the message here is that we become what we love. And I think uh, in sport, a lot of us can feel that happening. We can feel ourselves becoming what we love for better or for worse. And on the worst end of that is ultimately an idolatry, an idolatry of self and an idolatry particularly of sport. Tim Keller sort of describes idolatry as not this horrible, bad thing, but it's a good thing that we've taken too far, that we've let consume our identity. And so with this idea that we want to fully engage, that we want to fully invest, that we want to really develop ourselves, our recognition that um, there is more or there is something else, or there even is a moderating influence in our lives. And that is that, is that greater joy, that greater hope. That, that Chad has talked about. This idea that we are saved by the blood of Christ can be that correcting mechanism that keeps us from absorbing on ourselves in that time period. It's also true that uh, it's going to, uh, sport is going to appear selfish, right? It's going to appear that way because of the amount of time that is spent in that space. And so what we do is we try to work different practices in so that our, our hearts are protected from actually becoming selfish. Is this the first Nathaniel Hawthorne reference on this podcast, Laura? I, <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty yeah. good one. Well, let me offer one other uh, from philosophy, and that's um, Jeremy Bentham, an ethical theory called utilitarianism. That is the idea that, um, some, that there are sacrifices that we have to make, and, and we do so in order to achieve a greater good. And for a lot of athletes that are at the top of their game, at the top levels, you know, across the world to, to feel selfishness is probably natural, but they're very well, not always, but they're very well, maybe a greater good at stake here. 
And you think about the millions of people that watch the Olympics, you think about, you know, the hundreds of thousands of millions of people that are watching, you know, football, whatever else it might be, that there's joy that comes to those who watch and can watch the greatest, the ideals of, of human abilities, right, physically through sport. And so um, there may be a trade-off there and it might feel selfish, but there may be a great joy that comes along with uh, being able to watch or experience the performances of those who have put in so much time might feel, you know, a, a bit of selfishness there. But it seems like, it seems to me, and, and, and what, I, what I read about athletes, you know, in, in the lead up to the Olympics and the lead up to seasons that, that, that more and more so we're taking healthy, holistic approaches that the selfishness of the training and of the grind and, and everything that gets sort of pushed to the side during all of that is we're doing such a better job of helping athletes see that, Hey, you know what, maybe a vacation is right. Maybe, maybe some time away is good. Maybe some time with family is good here and there, but that might actually boost performance in, in some ways. And so it's interesting to see how the science and, and the emotions of all this sometimes connect and in ways that are healthy for our, for our athletes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we have gotten a lot better at that. And I know mental health has also been kind of a priority for people, which I think is, is wise that we're having those discussions. Um, and also, I mean, that's kind of something I think we should get into too, is just uh, the mental health of athletes and how, you know, faith can actually help you a lot in that way. Cause I don't think that's usually talked about very often, but have you guys kind of dived in much to kind of that <laughs> conversation around sports and the mental health aspect regarding faith? Without question, the idea that sport is has potential to help a person, especially when you start thinking about how identity can be a good thing, how achievement can be a good thing, where um, you start thinking about successful people, people that are able to you know, it's called in sports psychology, achievement motivation, how you're able to kind of achieve success rather than avoid failure and how that can carry over from one person to the next. And we've seen people that get to a certain place in their life and uh, sort of a technical term for that is learned helplessness, meaning they've arrived at so much failure in their life that all they can do is attribute that failure to themselves. And what's interesting about athletes or a successful people in some ways is that they attribute uh, failure to things outside themselves. And that can be kind of a healthy thing. Uh, it seems a little strange, but you know, when when uh, Chad's son comes home from a basketball game and says, you know, the refs, it was the refs fault, right? Probably really bad for him to blame the refs, but in terms of his own mental health, he is not saying, well, I suck, right? I'm terrible at basketball. Instead, he's finding a way to explain away failure in other ways. And we find that in successful people, they tend to find ways to attribute success to their own accomplishments or to the things that their hard work, their effort, and to attribute failure to things that are outside, that means that they have the, the ability to kind of continue that on and the next time they can do something about it. Yeah, I think uh, mental health for sure is uh, a central aspect. Um, the other very large player in this is anxiety, right? And uh, I encounter that a lot as a golf coach. Just the idea of, uh, as Chad talked about, this the exposure and when I, when I talk to my athletes or when I'm recruiting athletes, I actually tell them, you know, I, I really need you to, to love to play, right? You, you've got to love to play golf. You've got to love to practice golf because golf is hard. And, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem to, uh, it kind of comes and goes on its own whims. But the last part is you've got to love to compete. 
And I, I've had a number of athletes that are really good at the first two. In fact, really impressive, uh, natural athletes. But in the moment of competition, the anxiety gets out of control. And so I have counseled athletes out of, and it, it made our team worse, but it just wasn't the right thing for them at that time. Gotcha. Chad, what about you? I think television executives realized decades ago, this is a guy named Rune Arledge at ABC that realized that we want to see our athletes as more than just uh, robots on the field, on the court, in the pool, whatever else, that we want to see the emotions, we want to see the humanity of the athletes. And that's what makes the Olympic coverage so special, right? That we get to see, you know, they, 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 NBC pulls back, uh, pulls open the door and we get to see a day in the life of, you know, athlete X or, or athlete Y, and we get to see them as real people. And the ways in which we've, uh, in which athletes have begun sharing about uh, mental health issues that they've dealt with has been, I think, a further lens into, into the, the humanity of our athletes. That it's not, uh, that they're not gods on the top of Mount Olympus. They're not totally indestructible. No, they're real humans, uh, even the best athletes. And so it's probably a way for spectators to be able to, uh, to, to, to relate more, to be able to understand that um, it's not all glory. In fact, very little of it is glory. It's, it's a grind. And there are real issues that athletes confront. And uh, despite the, the glory that people see on TV or get to read about in Sports Illustrated, whatever else, we are dealing with real people here. And, and each individual was, was created in God's image. And so from a faith perspective, I think it's a reminder to us that when we watch our heroes, we're watching, we're watching real people with skin and flesh and, and people who are dealing with, with, with real everyday issues. That's important for us to remember in the midst of, of our, our heroism, the way in which we worship athletes at times. For sure. And I think for an athlete who's dealing with that stuff, I mean, definitely talking about it, talking to people that you can trust and, and working through those things and not holding it in. I think that's often like the biggest issue is when people keep it to themselves because we think as elite athletes, we can just take it all on and we can just hold on to it or bury it or whatever. Like we're tough. We can handle, you know, and that's like the worst thing you can do when it comes down to those things. I don't think we always need, I know you mentioned blaming stuff, Brian, I, I, maybe that makes people feel better, but honestly, I think there's, there's a lot of lack of responsibility when you're kind of blaming stuff a little bit there. I think you're not that you need to take everything on yourself, but there's, there's, you know, we need to grieve situations that aren't great. And then we also need to take a step back with someone we trust, a coach, a teammate, somebody, and logically look at what happened without the emotion and, and learn from it instead of just blaming all the time. Because I've had teammates who blame judges, who blame this, that, and the other all the time. And it's like, well, if you use your energy to fix what you're doing wrong, instead of blaming other people, you might actually be a better athlete. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuances in that. And, you know, I think a lot of athletes, you know, since the Olympics are going on right now, I, I really want to talk about that. There's this post-Olympic blues that people are starting to talk about more. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it happens to just about every Olympic athlete after the Olympics, whether you won or whether you did not do good at all. I've had it both ways. I've won and I've, I've gotten fifth and ninth and I, I had it every time. And there's this kind of depression that kind of happens after the Olympics. And it's because you spend years and years and years intensely focused on this one goal. And there's so much energy and adrenaline and all of this stuff, everything, you know, mind, body, and soul is like put into this moment and good or bad result. All of a sudden it's just over. And there is this like release of everything. And it just, it puts people in a funk and it affects some people immediately, like the, the month or two after sometimes it, it, there's like this honeymoon period where you don't notice it until a couple of months later, but just about every athlete kind of goes through this slump afterwards. And 
And that happens on a smaller scale too, after a national championships or a big state meet or whatever, like, cause there's just this energy that you're putting into it and in this effort and then this letdown, you know, and I think that's something that's very real that people need to know that that's, that's an okay thing to experience. That's normal. You're not crazy. You know, that, that, that is okay to go through. And I I think for me having faith um, in God and knowing that whatever I'm feeling or going through, he is a firm foundation and I can rely and depend on him no matter how I feel, you know, um, that helps me a lot. So one's faith is, is, uh, is an important part of that, of course, right. As something that can, that can help reduce maybe the, the, the blues, although uh, it can, can still certainly be, uh, be experienced. I would say one of the other things, and Brian and I have been criticized a little bit for, um, for sort of, I would say, encouraging or not discouraging athletes who, who speak out on, on issues. But that's another thing, I think, especially during the pandemic and, and with some of the social issues going on in the United States, where we've seen athletes be able to speak out on issues, I think helps to, to make their identity feel a little bit more robust, that it's not just you as an athlete, right? It's not, it's not just Simone Biles as the gymnast, but it's Simone Biles who's, who's active in terms of social issues, who speaks out for those that she feels have been treated unjustly. And so that can continue on even after her performance as well, right? So there are things that I think medium for better or worse that have allowed athletes a greater voice in certain things. Again, I say that for better or for worse, but when athletes are speaking out on issues, I think it helps them to round out their humanity a little bit more, to be thinking about issues and causes that are affecting a lot of people that will be there, whether they want a gold medal or not, that will be there after the closing ceremonies for sure, that they can continue on with that might be meaningful work in the midst of a bit of a lull in, in performance high. Kind of give you another focus. Yeah, that's another great. Focus. Yeah, I think you did a great job explaining that phenomenon, right? So that's one thing that is fairly unique to the Olympics as opposed to some other things. Scott Kretschmar talks about redemption in sport. He's a philosopher from Penn State. And he talks about one of the redemptions is is not to pretend that winning doesn't matter, but instead it's next time, right? It's that next moment. When we think about the cyclical nature of sport and when you win, you don't get to walk away and say, I'm the winner forever. You actually, you tried to come back, right? And you get to say, you're like, guess what? I'm not a winner today. So, and the loser as well gets that sort of redemption that they don't, they don't say, well, I'm a loser forever. And so this repeated pattern but in the Olympics, it can be, especially if you know it's your last one, you know that there, there is a finality to it. There's a last moment. And it makes perfect sense that uh, you're going to experience some loss. You're going to feel some things that you can't even explain. But what you're looking for, and I think, Chad, what he's trying to say as well, is like, where, where do we find the redemption in that activity? Where do we find some recovery from that sort of intense crescendo that builds up? And now we have this, this significant letdown and it can come for different people in different ways. Yeah. I really like that. Um, and I, I like kind of what you guys relating to, to just athletes having a voice and, and being more than just the athlete that gives them something else to focus on when maybe there is that little, I think that's really important for, for our listeners as well. Um, well, what are the things do you guys like to dig into in regards to sports and faith that we haven't touched on yet? I'm sure there's a million things. <laughs> Yeah, so we I think we've uh, we've hit a lot of the main topics that that often come up in these sorts of things. Uh, one of the things that uh, often happens is people that are involved in sport ministry, and so we try to um, speak into that venue as well. So people that uh, there are whole industries built around sort of this idea of gathering people together for an athletic contest or an athletic interest, and then kind of 
flipping the switch and uh, turning that into an opportunity. And so there are strengths and weaknesses to that that approach. And we like to to spend some time talking to people that do that, but also unpacking that whole model and trying to figure out uh, what we can do to maybe maybe help or or develop that a bit further. We talk a lot about just sort of the the um, the idea of competition and understanding it well, so that when uh, people enter competition, they understand the space that they're in. In many ways, when you enter competition, when you step inside the lines, it's one of the rare places where you can really be. What the goal is to be self-absorbed, right? So the goal in uh, in inside the lines or inside the pool or on the platform is for you to be fully self-absorbed in that space. You're actually playing a game and you're actually playing a role. You continue to be you, but you're playing a role in that particular moment. And so we want to understand what sport is and what it isn't. It isn't really real life. It happens in real life. But the, the rules, when when if I were to go tackle someone in soccer or football, right? Uh, it's perfectly legitimate. But if I were to do that in the office, I'd probably get arrested, <laughs> right? So there, this is a weird land we're talking about, right? This yeah. is very, very different. And so to understand that it is, a, it is a different space. So let's respect it and treat it as a different space and understand that it is a little bit of a playland. And so it's important for us to, to kind of unpack that and get people to a place that they can really make good decisions in that other space. The play is 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 one of the topics that we've really yeah that we've really hit hard. I think it's important to both of us. So much of what's gone wrong in the in the world of sport, I think, has to do with the fact that we we lose the foundation of sport, which is play. We lose the the feelings of of why we started in the first place. Especially as the competition levels go up, the intensity goes up. We certainly don't think that you know focusing on play is going to lead to mediocrity. In fact, I think sometimes that that leads to the greatest performances that we have, but so often that's the worry. And so we, we take kids and at a young age, we turn them into to robots because, and we, we suck the fun out of it, you know, for so many young athletes. And, you know, maybe Laura, your experiences were different because you came in and diving a little bit later than most that maybe, maybe your experiences were different, like I said, but, you know, there's something about play, experiencing something and participating in something because the joy is in the doing. There's something really special and fundamental about that. And I think, one of the things that Brian and I like to to connect that to is the idea of the kingdom at hand, that there are experiences that we have on earth that may be glimpses of heaven. And when we're at play, when we're doing something because the joy of it is in the doing, you know, we're experiencing that kingdom at hand. Yeah, I love that. Because you're right. I mean, as you get to those upper levels, people do like forget that love and that thing that first drew them to the sport. And I was really lucky. I had parents who were like, just do something. I don't really care what it is. Just go do it. And they were very much just like, as long as you're happy, like we'll cheer you on. And they, they weren't super involved. And that was actually good for me. And I had to be self-motivated if I wanted to keep going. So I think that was really good. And I've seen the opposite, you know, the parents are there all the time filming every single practice, forcing their kids to watch it after like all of those things. And some kids burn out really young, like way before they should, but it's, it's not their desire. It's not what they want. And I have, I have parents that ask me all the time too, like, how can I make my kid more passionate? I'm like, you just got to let him fail. Like if he yeah, fails and he that. wants to yep. keep going, like he'll find the passion. Yeah. So that's, you can't force that. That has to come from within the person. So I love that. The joy is in the doing, like, don't forget to play. That's so perfect. Um, Chad, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing us kind of a different angle of sports and how it intertwines with our faith and um, just how special the two are together. It's a really unique space. We appreciate your insight. It's been a pleasure. 
Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks so much for inviting us. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.